0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Our our number one priority has been and will be the the players that we're coaching, and that's what we're in this business for. and Our whole staff, uh, it's not ideal circumstances, but they feel like the right thing to do is to be 100% committed and dialed in to help these young guys in a bowl game, and I think that gives us the best chance to win a game, and that's what we're going to do.
0: I felt, number one, that he deserved, he earned that. Uh, he d- deserved to coach, it's a dead period, you can't be out recruiting. I- fully felt that Scott was organized enough and certainly bright enough to be able to figure out how to do both jobs, which he's done a masterful job from my observation. It also, uh, in a self-serving manner, it, it will be a three and a half hour infomercial for Nebraska football uh, that uh, peop- those those announcers are going to be talking about the Huskers the entire game and our recruits are going to be watching it to, to get an idea of the style of play and, and how Scott and his coaches were uh, a sideline and, and call a game. So I, I, I thought that was a win win deal. And welcome here
2: to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. You just heard from Nebraska's head coach Scott Frost and athletic director Bill Moose about just how Frost is managing uh, just its whole schedule here um, over the next really week and it's been interesting it was initially I think met with uh, some criticism by some that it was impossible uh, to do both to coach a game um, to recruit for Nebraska uh, but you heard Bill Moose um, talk about it you know the I think that positives outweigh the negatives and there are negatives I mean mainly time management but Nebraska has given Scott Frost the resources to make this work as of uh, Thursday morning Frost has spent nearly 21 hours on a private jet flying back and forth from Orlando to Dallas to Texas or to Kansas City to Wichita to Florida several times Um, and he's been back in Lincoln Um, he was back on Wednesday for the walk-on event and it's been really amazing to see him uh, balance this out be back in Orlando for Tuesday Wednesday Thursday morning practices then back on a plane flying around the country to do this. And this is really going to be the only week it's like this. You know, after um, this weekend, coaches can't be on the road to recruit. It's the dead period. Um, So he's got himself through the meat of this week, and now he has to get ready to host about 10 official visitors in Lincoln.
3: Yeah, I get the, you know, annoyance fans have with it. You know, you obviously want your brand-new coach that you've been clamoring for for years now. Uh, to be fully devoted to making Nebraska better but uh i think first and foremost his bosses are okay with it so yeah they're in a self that's a green light two i think people underestimate how big of a grinder this guy is i mean th- there're very few people i think that could handle this type of workload working essentially two head coaching jobs uh, and do it as effectively as he hand has in every aspect and then uh Nate you can talk more about his work on the recruiting front which speaks volumes but as a coaching Standpoint. Every report out of Central Florida over these past couple bowl practices they've had this week are that they are 100% dialed in. Everything is exactly how it was before um, this Nebraska business to went down. And so you know, just even though he spent you know the better part of almost a full day in an airplane, uh, he's getting the work done on both ends. And so I've, I've imagined after the signing period, after the bowl game, he's going to sleep for about a week. But for now, uh, he's grinding harder than anybody could have expected.
4: Yeah, to, to me, the most impressive part is just the time management the the level of organization that he's shown Um, for a relatively young head coach I mean he's been juggling so many different things and there hasn't been a hiccup you know typically when when there's a transition, there's a few things that fall through the cracks, and you say, "Boy, you know, it would have been uh, would have been nice if they could have, uh, you know, not let that happen, or or you know, this happened and it, it ended up hurting them." But there hasn't been anything that's really fallen through the cracks here, and and he's he's been dealing with practice schedules, he's been dealing with recruiting, uh, basically handling two teams um, and and putting a staff together, a support staff together. I mean, it's it's been pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, Nate, you think about the last coaching changes they've had here. Bill Callahan wasn't until January, so he really had no time to obviously transition. Coming off um, a year before where he was in the Super Bowl and then got fired the following year, you had Bo Pelini come in and they lost 15 recruits. And it was a disaster as far as keeping that first recruiting class. And they just signed a bunch of you know, guys to fill numbers, uh, Mike Riley, um, they scrambled, but they, they really got off to a poor start. I've never seen Nate, uh, staff get off to the start they've gotten to in recruiting. Um, it's just not as easy as they're making it look. It shouldn't be as easy as they're making it look and they are making it look easy.
4: Yeah. They're making it look easy. And it's, is not (laughs) easy. Um, the amount of homework that had to take place an organization that had to take place prior to him, even accepting the job is, is unbelievable. Um, uh, because they knew exactly what the the need, strengths and weaknesses of the roster were, uh, what the needs were in this recruiting class, they came out of the gate firing with offers, important offers too, like like what we saw to Adrian Martinez, and uh, the, you know, and the ability to re, to close on your number one guy, which we'll talk about later. But I mean, it's just everything has been hitting on all cylinders from the very get go, and it's it's been pretty incredible to watch.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says. Uh, Scott Frost continuing to do both jobs here uh, at least for all the way through the bowl game on January 1. Central Florida had practices on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings. Uh, they'll do the same schedule again this next week, but that really won't matter um, at that point because Nebraska's coaches uh, won't be able to be on the road. Signing day is on Wednesday, um, so this was really just the week that they had to get figured out, and when you have access to a private jet, um, but you know, I think the challenge, Robin, was that jet could only go about 2,000 miles, so they, always, they had to make pit stops for fuel, uh, that that Fresno leg that they had to make um, after a practice in Orlando on Tuesday, um, that was nuts. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody do what Nebraska did, and then Scott Frost got back to Orlando Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. to coach his team through
3: a practice. Somebody needs to get him an energy drink sponsorship, you know, with Red Bull, <laughs> Monster, Rockstar, Starbucks, whatever, because that dude, uh, I bet you, he hasn't slept more than like 10 hours in the last week, but. Anyway, but I guess the good news is, you know, on that Fresno flight, they connected in Lincoln. So I'm sure he went to the football offices and did some you know, film breakdown while the, the J- jet was getting filled up. But I mean, like, again, as we've talked, it, this just speaks to the type of personality that Scott Frost is and what he's going to bring to this program. And here's one thing for the players that are coming back next year. You look at the way that they're grinding in this fashion on the recruiting front. You can better expect uh, it's going to be the exact same way in everything they do when it comes to actually coaching the Nebraska football team, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's practices, whether it's film study, um, they're probably the expectation level to meet uh, their work ethic is probably going to be pretty high. So these players better buckle in because they better be ready to work.
0: Yeah, I was going to hit
3: on that too,
4: Robin. I mean, when, when, you, when you see the head coach grinding like that. Um, that, that means your the assistants are going to grind just as hard, if not harder, um, and then it just feeds down. It's a trickle-down effect. So the players are going to pick up on on that work ethic, and they're, they know that they're going to have to raise their game. And I think that's going to be something that, that automatically is going to be a brand-new tone set across the board uh, in, in North Stadium.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss uh, what, what's been going on here with Coach Frost as Nebraska um, is uh, transitioning head coaches here, trying to get through this stretch of early signing day. And, and we've got a lot to talk about here, guys, on this show. As Nebraska held a uh, recruiting event uh, over uh, the week here, they had a walk-on day. Uh, where they had over 40 in-state players in. Uh, We're going to discuss that. Um, They landed four commitments from Sunday uh, to Wednesday, including four-star quarterback Adrian Martinez. So that's uh, something we're going to address here as this show moves on. Nebraska basketball is trying to bounce back from uh, a disappointing loss to Creighton where they really legitimately had a chance to win that game. Uh, They have to take on a a Kansas team that's lost two in a row on Saturday night in Lincoln. We'll get Robin Watchett's thoughts on that. And then we're going to take your questions in the mailbag so that's all next here guys on this week's edition of the husker online show
0: you're
1: listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics you know as long as i live ucf and orlando will feel like home to me and it felt like coming home to these guys the energy on the field was awesome so the guys are excited about playing uh, and like i said this isn't These aren't ideal circumstances, but we're all dialed in, committed, and, you know, in any of these bowl games, the same operating methods would be used. Coaches would be out on the road recruiting for a week, and then we'd come back and coach a team and probably go out the same day and recruit and come back and coach the team. Uh, That's the way these things work, and that's the way every every team that's coaching a bowl is doing it right now. We're going to be as committed or more committed than we would have been had nothing changed. To answer your question, it was great to be back and, and see all these kids again.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Lion Show, this segment of the Husker Line Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. College football bowl season right around the corner opens up here on Saturday. Uh, get on into Tanner's um, kickoff bowl season uh, this weekend. Also, NFL action will be on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, check out any one of the seven Tanner's locations. And you heard uh, Scott Frost there um, talking about what it was like to be back in front of his old, old team and players and – um, that was a hurdle that was going to be interesting to see you know how it was crossed how Danny White would handle the situation and you know uh, it wasn't easy, but they got through it and I, I think the players understand and I think there's actually more respect now from them that he's going through at this. I talked to um another you know a, a guy I know whose son played at Colorado State and you know, they went through something similar where Jim McIlwain left a 10-2 and two team uh, before the Las Vegas Bowl, which for the Mountain West is the best bowl game you could be a part of. And instead of co- coaching them in the Vegas Bowl, he left to go to Florida, and they played absolutely terrible and lost the Vegas Bowl. Um, and he said, you know, it would have been awesome to still have our coach, and I have a lot of respect for Scott Frost and what he's doing for those kids because they now at least have a chance. If he would have not been a part of this bowl game, um, their chances of winning – were little to none um, they're already a 10-point dog Robin but I think the fact that he's a part of it at least is going to give them um, quite a chance to win this game
3: Well, yeah and as you know Danny white mentioned in the press conference you know they won all 12 of their games this season with Scott Frost so why with the 13th game would you all of a sudden change it up and uh, I think the big difference here though is not only is he going through the motions of being the coach it's the I mean we talked about this it's the effort in which he's going in with these practices the fact that um, every report from you know players media Danny White uh, are that this staff is 100% or at least as close to 100% committed um, to coaching this team for one more game as they possibly could be and so I think that's where the respect factor comes in from Central Florida's players you know they they, I'm sure that first practice they were probably a little bit leery of you know how uh, dialed in Scott was going to be his staff was going to be you know considering that um, they have a lot of other stuff on their plate Um, they're probably a little tired you know from the the back and forth but um those practices were just like any practices they've had uh, all season long and so I think that immediately kind of got that awkwardness out of the way that yes this is an unusual situation it's not ideal for anybody but for the next few weeks until this bowl game they're going to continue to coach this team as hard as they have all season long for what has been you know arguably the greatest season in Central Florida history
4: Yeah, and and I think that uh, you've got to do that for the players because I think the last thing that you want if you're Scott Frost is for this season to completely blow up in the bowl game and to basically know that it's – the, probably mostly on you uh, so I, I think that um, the, it's it's kind of a, a two-fold situation where if if you go out and and close this thing out with a bang against Auburn I mean that the, no question that that's the most impressive season in school history and that none of those kids can hold any grudge against you for what has transpired here plus then you give yourself a huge boost at Nebraska on the recruiting front every every kid that you're after has just seen you you beat Auburn on the national stage, and like Bill Moose said, it's it's kind of a three and a half hour infomercial. So um, I think there's there's no question. There's a lot of motivation on on several different levels here for this coaching staff.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska is trying to finish out this early signing period. Scott Frost also coaching bull practices as. Uh, The the recruiting and coaching has been quite a juggling act on Wednesday night. uh, Nebraska hosted over 40 in-state players for a walk-on day. Uh, They made approximately 10 to 15 offers, Nate, uh, to different walk-ons. They included a lot of former walk-ons in the event. Uh, guys like Matt Hoskinson, a former starting offensive lineman from Battle Creek as a walk-on, Joel Macavica uh, from East Butler, a former starting fullback that went on to the NFL. You had current players like Chris Weber and Luke McNitt uh, be a part of the day. Matt Davison, um, a former scholarship in-state receiver, was the MC, uh, who now obviously works as the associate AD for football. Everything I've heard, Nate, it was a first-class event. Uh, they landed at least, what, four or five immediate walk-on commits, and it, it looks like they're going to get more as this thing kind of moves on.
4: Yeah, they're going to get a lot more, I think, as this thing moves on. And um, from the people that I've talked with that were there, they, they were extremely impressed with how everything came together and the, the overall presentation of the event uh, was a very first-class deal. And and I think, uh, again, that's just one one. aspect of something that that they've put together basically at a a moment's notice and has gone off without a hitch Um, and the excitement level here is something that they're really being able to tap into and and you know, I don't want to act like this is something new that has never been done before. They've had walk-on days before. Bill Callahan had walk-on days. Bo Pelini had them. Uh, Even Mike Riley had them. But what the difference here is, is that most of those walk-on days happened like that last Sunday uh, before signing day, uh, where you'd bring guys in and kind of have a pseudo official visit when it really wasn't an official visit, or you'd bring a couple walk-ons as official visitors on campus. But here, you're bringing them in in December you're letting them know where they stand Uh, they know that they have a walk-on offer and uh, they're not kind of in limbo all the way up to signing day so uh, I think that they're they're striking while the iron's hot and uh, I mean tip of the hat to the staff for for what they're accomplishing on that front
2: and I think the biggest thing was just getting the opportunity to present what the program is all about and you know some of the stuff they went over um, all members of the football team get free breakfast now they get free snacks um, at the nutrition station outside the weight room, and they have a lot of different things out there that those guys can have. They get a free laptop. They get a free iPad. Um, they get, you know, I think meal money on the weekends if they practice and the training tables close. Um, obviously, they don't get the full scholarship check or the cost of attendance check, but there still are a lot of benefits these guys get. And, you know, I think they wanted to really present all that in front of these guys, um, how much money uh, they still are handed, even though it's not obviously the full scholarship.
4: Yeah, there's still a lot of perks on the table uh, if, if you're a walk-on and, and paying your own tuition and, and books and everything. But there's still a lot of things, the positives that come with it. And I think the big thing, too, uh, that was a message at the event was that, uh, there's really no difference once you enter the program. There's no difference between uh, it, whether you are a five-star scholarship guy or if you're a walk-on from uh, Brainerd, Nebraska. So uh, you know once you're in that locker room, everyone's equal regardless of what your your tuition costs or or what what's being paid or what's not being paid.
2: And this is a good year, Nate. I think for the walk-on program, there's only really going to be between South Dakota, South Dakota State, and North Dakota State, the three primary primary FCS schools that recruit Nebraska, what, maybe four to five kids that sign with those three programs combined, which means there's going to be a lot of room to bring in walk-ons this year uh, because a lot of these guys are just – Quite not good enough to be FCS offer guys, but they're at least good enough to take a chance on in a walk-on program.
4: Yeah, it really is a good year for that, uh, for the exact reason you just said. There's a lot of guys, developmental guys, I would say, um, that aren't no-brainer FCS offers. Uh, but that would probably, you know, after a year or two in the program um, at Nebraska, would be guys that could easily play at a, at a South Dakota state or South Dakota or North Dakota state. Um, so there's, there's a lot of talent in the state uh, at a lot of different positions, too. And, and uh, you know, they've been able to add some pieces early on, um, you know, at some skill position spots and, and uh, in, the, uh, in the trenches, too.
2: Yeah, they want to get this roster bigger. Um, I've heard as big as 170. I'll believe that when I see it. But right now they carry about 125, 130 players, um, and they want to grow this roster. um, I would think to at least 150 plus, um, and figure out a new way to practice to let these guys get more reps and develop. And if they could pull this off, it would be one of the more interesting stories in, in 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 college football because. Nobody really does it like that. And if they're able to get a roster of 170 and effectively figure out a way to practice them with maybe two or three stations running at all times on offense and defense, and that's how Osborne's teams did it back in the day. Um, All three top units would get 100 reps per practice, ones, twos, and threes on offense and defense. And there would be multiple scout team units going against them. Um, And so when those guys got into games, it was seamless. If they could figure out a way to do that today, That would be unbelievable.
4: Yeah, it really would. And the other thing that's going to be unbelievable is if they're actually able to get the roster to 170, I want to see where they're going to house all these guys at because they, I think the current locker room uh, in North stadium is right around 120 or 125. Um, and there is an auxiliary locker room, but uh, that only has, I think, about 20 lockers in it. So uh, Bill Moose is going to have to come to the table, I think, and they're going to have to figure out a way. And there's some
2: title nine things there
4: too. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, wa-
2: I think walk on, uh, Bill said this on his radio show. Um, count against uh, any roster spot, walk on our scholarship. I think goes in the Title IX formula. Wow. So there's a lot there that you know makes it a little bit more difficult on top of the cost. Um, but yeah, it's been fun to see and um, we'll have plenty of the coverage on the walk-on commitments on HuskerOnline.com. When we come back, we're going to ship the discussion over to basketball. Nebraska continues their gauntlet. They have one more tough game left before they get uh, three kind of easier games um, to get them ready for the Big Ten. They'll play Kansas on Saturday. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washed as now we shift our focus over to Nebraska basketball as the Huskers trying to bounce back from a disappointing loss in Omaha to Creighton 75-65 this past Saturday. They're 7-4, 1-1 and, four, one and one in the Big Ten. They now have four non-conference games remaining. A pretty realistic chance to be 10-5, and 9-4 uh, and four overall, non-conference play, which you know would be not great, but still about holding serve. And holding serve with Nebraska basketball has been easier said than done uh, over the last few years. They've got a real opportunity now on Saturday coming off finals week. Uh, Kansas will come into Lincoln for a night game, a nationally televised FS1 game um, where it's going to be a busy day at PBA. You're going to have graduation going on, then the game at night. Um, no students, though. It's going to be a little different atmosphere. Probably a lot of blue, a lot of KU blue in that crowd. Uh, but Robin, this is um, a rare big stage non-conference game, and you know it's it's rare to have a team like Kansas come to Lincoln.
3: Yeah, and it's even rare to have it on a Saturday night at seven o'clock. So I mean, this is kind of a perfect storm. Uh, for the environment that it takes to potentially upset a team of a, a caliber of Kansas. So uh, it's going to be difficult. I mean, Kansas is coming into this game having lost two straight games, and that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, the la- and in fact, they've only lost three straight once under Bill Self, and that was back in 2013. So um, Nebraska will be facing an angry, I'm sure a— um, Just a frustrated Kansas team uh, because when Bill Bill Self, when his teams lose multiple games, uh, he works them harder than probably any coach in the country in practice. And the fact that they've had a whole week to stew on back-to-back losses, um, you can imagine this this Kansas team is going to come in ready to play. So... Maybe the biggest key is for Nebraska to not only capitalize on the environment, that Pinnacle Bank Arena. It's, it's a sold-out crowd. Yes, there will be a lot of Kansas fans there, as there always are, but I think that there's going to be a lot of Nebraska fans, and the fact that it is a Saturday night is going to create a pretty you know, good home court advantage. But No uh, students.
2: So, like, Was that part of the deal? Somebody told me that, that Kansas agreed to do this as long as the game in Lincoln— uh happened when students weren't on campus
3: yeah but i mean technically they're not on campus but the I guess.
2: student, there, there won't be all the student tickets i think got sold as regular tickets which nebraska has made a lot of money the face value for a lower bowl season ticket was forty-five dollars. Um, you could sell a lower bowl ticket to this game for about 150 bucks right now. I mean, that's it's about as high priced of a ticket as you're gonna see for any Husker sporting event this year.
3: Yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, it's gonna be wild, and students are not, it's gonna be an electric environment. Um, but the key is starting off fast. Uh, You look at Nebraska's schedule this year, um, the games that they've really struggled is when they've sputtered out of the gates. You look at St. John's, you look at Central Florida, um, you know, go down any of those losses, um, you know, outside of Creighton, um, you know, that's been the intensity out of the gates has really been their worst enemy. But when they've started well, i.e. Minnesota and some of those other games, uh, that's when, you know, they've been able to carry that over through the rest of the game. And so a team like Kansas that is coming off two straight losses, if Nebraska jumps on them quickly and gets that crowd going, uh, that could be the recipe for a potential upset. But, you know, again, this this is easier said than done against a Kansas team that hardly ever in their program history loses three in a row.
2: And Nebraska losing Robin to Creighton last week, and it was probably the closest a Tim Miles team has played Creighton. It was probably the first time you could say, wow, they should have won that game. And a couple of phantom calls, uh, Nebraska gets a three-point play. Um, they overturn the basket over a commercial break and call it a charge which, by the way, I've never seen done before. A referee DM'd me and said they could have called it a double foul and counted the basket, but what happened there was really an unprecedented call to overtake a basket like that because that is a non-reviewable situation there uh, for the referee to to look at that play. Um, and then the phantom fifth foul on Glenn Watson, the free throw disparity. there are a lot of things that if you were a Nebraska fan, you left that arena pretty upset about.
3: Yeah, uh, just to point out, uh, the Wisconsin game on Wednesday night, uh, the exact same situation happened where at the very end of the game, there was a charge called, or I guess it was supposed to be a charge, but the referee signaled the block and then they reversed it minutes later saying it was actually a charge. So it's... It can be done. Uh, officiating is at its best right now. But... Uh, uh, back to the Creighton game, yes, uh, Nebraska did everything it needed to do to win that game. It was a one-possession game inside of the final minute, uh, and they switched up to a 1-3-1 zone, which I know was met with some criticism, Marks Foster hits a three uh, from NBA range to essentially seal it, but you know, I, I don't judge that defensive switch. That's
2: like a 20% yeah, shot. Yeah, I don't think make... that was that
3: they got the shot they wanted. I mean, that was a long, low-percentage three, and Creighton's best player stepped up and made a play, but I think you look at what happened throughout that, despite the fouls, despite only getting to the free throw line three times compared to 17 times by Creighton, um, Nebraska did everything it needed to do to win that game. And it was a much, much closer game than the final 10-point margin. And so I think that you you don't want to take a moral victory, especially in a rivalry like Creighton-Nebraska. But I think that if nothing else, it leaves you feeling a little bit better about how improved this team is compared to previous years when you use a team like Creighton as a measuring stick.
2: Isaac Copeland has been unbelievable, really. And and you can see his value. I think Schmonga though, Jordy Schmanga and Robin, he's the guy that has really struggled to finish. Yes. And if if they could just get Schmonga to finish more consistently, that would make such a difference.
3: Well, think about it. He's a guy that takes all of his shots within five feet of the basket. And he is currently shooting where is he shooting? From the field. He is shooting thirty percent. Yeah. That's terrible. And get this, he has more fouls, 34, than he does points scored on the season, 33.
2: What do you make of that? Why is he not finishing these bunnies? It's,
3: it's a total regression in his confidence because physically he's in the best shape of his life. He's down to under 270 pounds. He's faster, leaner, stronger uh, than he's ever been. Uh, and so that's not the issue. And I don't understand what happened from the final 11 games of last year when he was playing really well uh, and was boasted as maybe a potential breakout sophomore in the Big Ten during the offseason. season. But for whatever reason, he has been almost a liability. Uh, like I said, he's fouling too much. He's turning the ball over. Uh, he has 15 turnovers on the year, uh, and he's not making shots at the rim. And so as a center, you're not doing much there. And so I think at some point, it's, Tim Miles is going to have to you know, face the situation where you might have to change up your starting lineup. They've used the same starting five for the, all 11 games this year with Jordy at center, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Isaiah Roby um, ends up moving into that five and they go smaller, uh, because I think that's not only their best defensive lineup, I think offensively that gives you the most options. And and so Jordy is kind of facing uh, kind of a crunch time here if he wants to remain a, a big factor in this lineup.
2: And, Robin, everybody likes Jack McVeigh as a person, thinks he's a great guy to have on the team, but, man, he, he is really – held this team in lineup back at times when yeah. he gets on the floor. And and they put some pretty big minutes on him when this team gets into foul to. trouble. Yeah, it's they it's they a tough to. deal.
3: And that, that's, that's the problem because, you know, when they got into such early foul trouble against Creighton, they had no choice but to play, you know, one of your more veteran players. And you know, when you're not scoring and you're a liability on defense, it's really hard to justify why you're on the court. And I know there were some people that saying, you know, why didn't you play Nana Kenton? You know, you're going to burn his red shirt. Why not give him some time to, you know, see what he can do? Uh, especially when the guy that you're playing instead of him, Jack McVay is just really struggling right now. And that's a very good question. Probably one that we're going to ask Tim Miles here um, over the next few weeks here, but you know, it's, it's disappointing because, you know, Jack, came into this year knowing that he had a very specific role to fill and that was going to be the perimeter shooter who could provide minutes off the bench but you know right now from the three-point line he is five of 14 and so I mean he's clearly not bringing much to the table at all with his shooting and then obviously defense I mean one of the turning points in that game against Creighton uh was when Jack McVeigh had to play and they just kept going inside uh to I can't remember the guy's name right now. Ronnie Harrell, Ronnie Harrell, and I think he scored on like three straight possessions. And Harrell ended up getting, you know, he had 12 points. I think most of those came in the second half. Uh, And so, you know, that that was probably one of the biggest differences. You know, when Nebraska had turned significant minutes to Jack McVay, uh, they struggled mightily. And so, you got to wonder what his role is going to be going forward, if unless they have to play him.
2: All right. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to shift over to the mailbag but Nebraska basketball take on Kansas, seven o'clock in the Pinnacle Bank Arena. It's going to be a great atmosphere robin and the team will have complete coverage of that following the game when we come back though we'll take your questions in the mailbag you're listening to the husker online show
0: this is husker online your
1: authority on nebraska athletics I've been blessed. This is the eighth opportunity I, I'm going to have to be in a New Year's bowl game as a player and as a coach. There's some unusual circumstances surrounding this, but we're going to handle this uh, the same way that we would handle uh, any bowl game of this type. Uh, the players needed some time off and we gave it to them. This week we got to get back to work and get the rust knocked off. Uh, we started that process today uh, and then next week we'll have uh, three really spirited practices and then a full week to get ready for the bowl game. That's the same way we would have handled it uh, regardless of the circumstance. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan,
2: Robin Waschet, Nate Klaus, and we bring in Husker Online intern David Eichold as we take your questions in the mailbag. And there's been a lot to talk about, obviously, with recruiting, uh, everything that's happened with Scott Frost and his staff. As It feels like it's been months, but really it's been just over a week, almost two weeks now um, that he's taken over for Nebraska. What do you got this week to lead us off in the mailbag, David. If Scott Frost wrote a letter to Santa, what would be three things he would put on his list to Santa to turn this program around? Ooh. um, A developed quarterback for 2017 or 18, a guy that can run his system. I think that's going to be a must for this thing to work. Um, I I think just an improved confidence level of this team uh, where the players are are held more accountable and buy into what's going on. Uh, Those would be two of the things I think that need to happen going forward and And take a step forward. Get to a bowl game next year. I think for Nebraska, uh, 4-8 and is awful. They can't ever have a year like this again. They need to take a step forward. Even though they've got this brutal schedule um, in front of them where they may be underdogs in at least six of the games next year, they've got to figure out a way to get to a bowl game to turn that season or this program in the right direction.
3: I would add maybe just a a full buy-in from the veteran players coming back. You know, if they're able to – convince a guy like Stanley Morgan to, to come back, you know, for his senior year. Uh, I mean, that's huge. And guys like J.D. Spielman and, you know, just go down the list in that receiver group. But across the board, I mean, that's probably the biggest hurdle with the new coaching change is you got guys that spent their entire careers playing for one coaching staff, and now all of a sudden uh, you're switching things up on them with a completely new cast of coaches. And so um, getting how quickly that um, trust and relationships are built is going to be absolutely key for what this first season under Scott Frost is going to be.
4: Yeah, I would say three things would be complete um, buy-in, mental fortitude across the board, uh, which is something that I think Nebraska has lacked, for probably the better half of two decades. Especially Um,
3: against that schedule they're playing this year, too. Yeah,
4: so for at least 15 years, uh, it's been kind of a mentally weak uh, team, I believe. And then um, I think improvement in the trenches on both sides of the football.
2: What do you got next? Which current Huskers do you feel have the best chance to break out or excel with the new staff and schemes? I I think the obvious ones are guys like J.D. Spielman. I think when you look at how he fits – um he's one that really uh jumps out to me um i look for a guy like ben stilley to take a huge step next year i think him and Mick stoltenberg if he comes back healthy are two
3: guys i really could see uh moving forward I think the defensive backs, and I don't know if I can pick one, uh, but just with the volume of turnovers this coaching staff at Central Florida was able to produce, yes, they gave up some yards, but they took the ball away, what, 27, 28 times last year? Uh, And Nebraska hardly took it away at all. So I think that in itself leads to a great opportunity for these defensive backs to actually do something statistically, change the tide of games with turnovers, be aggressive, and make plays on the football.
4: Yeah, I think uh, offensively, a guy like Tyjohn Lindsay um, reminds me an awful lot, of at least skill set-wise, reminds me of somebody like a D'Anthony Thomas and, and those old Oregon offenses that, that Frost was a part of. Um, so I, I think that any of those wide receivers are, are going to have an opportunity to break out. Um, and, and I kind of like your pick of Stilly on defense, Sean.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washat. We're taking your questions here with David Eichold in the mailbag. Which current players have a lot to prove, or they need to step up to play a significant role with the new staff. You got it. I I think both quarterbacks, um, you know, I'm I'm assuming Tanner Lee's going pro. It just, I mean, we don't know that obviously yet, but it just seems likely. Uh, But between Patrick O'Brien and Tanner Lee, when you bring in Adrian Martinez, they're going to be on the clock. I mean, they will be a humongous point of their lives and careers this spring to see if they can compete and win uh, the quarterback job and and, and battle um, in spring ball, and that's going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm trying to think other guys that, that jump out to me, but that, the quarterback to me is where it starts. The running back position too, um, the, the fact that Nebraska statistically had the worst season ever with running backs in the modern history – They've gone three straight years without a thousand-yard rusher, which hasn't happened um, since the the days of the early Osborne offenses when Nebraska n- didn't even run a traditional uh, running attack. So um, there's a lot that you could go when you go four and eight. You can kind of pick through the entire roster on that.
3: I'm gonna go offensive line. It doesn't matter what your skill guys look like. And we talked about this last year. You know about Tanner Lee and how good he was. And we said, it's not going to matter much if that offensive line doesn't hold its own. And so that was a group that really struggled, obviously, all season long. And now you're bringing, you know, the bulk of them back this next year, uh, and you're ch- completely changing the, the entire concept of your offense. Uh, and so how they handle that is going to be key. You know, we talk about the running backs, you know, uh, that running game will be predicated on how they adjust to the tempo and just the overall pace of this offense. Yeah, i got to
4: piggyback on the offensive line. I, I think that's going to be key.
3: Uh, you want to
4: see a guy like Nick Gates and Gerald Foster really step up and be what they can be, especially for you know captain-type guys. Uh, I think they need to raise their level of play. Plus, there's a lot of young talent on that offensive line that I think is going to have an opportunity to push some of those older guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Greg Austin does with that group.
2: What has been the most surprising or impressive thing to you so far about the start of head coach Scott Frost's tenure? Um, I think just how seamless they've made it look because it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy to transition, coach a team through a bowl game and try to manage recruiting. And um, just the charisma, the it factor, the passion that he's had, um, the way that's resonated to the players on the current team, to recruits around the country – um, it's it's been a joy to watch. I mean, it just it's not supposed to look like this this fast as far as um, how seamless this transition has gone, and and that is the advantage I think of when you take your entire operation with you.
3: Yeah, I'll continue with that and say just the way he's been able to juggle essentially coaching two different teams right now i mean it's unbelievable the work and the time and the effort he's put in to not only continue to coach uh, his central florida team you know on through bowl practices uh, and make a media events there and do all those things award shows uh but to do the work they've done on the recruiting front at the same time i mean we've talked about it. this guy probably hasn't slept in days weeks maybe uh and the a, a, effectiveness in which he's operating uh, has just been downright impressive.
4: Yeah, the, uh, it's, there's no question. The level of organization and the time management of, of everybody in that office, are, I mean, starting with Scott Frost and the assistants and even uh, the support staff behind the scenes has just been unbelievable. You could not have hoped for things to go any better than what they've gone so far.
2: we got time for one more. What do you have?
4: What do you guys have planned between December 20th and
2: January 2nd? um well robin and i are both going to atlanta for the peach bowl so we'll, we'll get a chance to cover that and um take in our first actual new year six bowl game ever which <laughs> um, is embarrassing to say but <sighs> I, I covered a rose bowl i guess i shouldn't say that and we covered a cotton bowl before it was a part of like the big new year six or whatever you want it, the bcs mm-hmm. type games but um a lot of family stuff we you know have multiple christmas things going on uh, between my parents and lisa's family so um, and, and,
3: spend time with the kids, man. That's what Christmas is all about. Yeah, no doubt. This is my, my daughter is now 15 months. And so this is like the first Christmas. She's actually like been, uh, you know, outside, not just a sleeping baby the whole time. So I'm pretty <laughs> jacked up. We got all the decorations and playing Christmas music. I bought her a bunch of toys that she doesn't need. And so, uh, that, that Christmas week is going to be fun. Lots of travel, uh, probably be stressful. Hopefully the weather holds up, but, uh, yeah. And then we're just going to buy time until, until we hit Atlanta. Yeah, basically just
4: uh, hopefully get some family time in and and uh, covering this crouton.
2: Crouton. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, luckily Nate and the guys will get a break. It's been nuts. Um, This weekend, obviously, with 10 official visitors or more coming in, um, it's going to get busy. So uh, lots to talk about in recruiting. When we come back, uh, we will give a full breakdown of what's to come this weekend and the four commits Nebraska's already landed. That's all next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: Final segment here of the show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we wrap it up with some recruiting talk, and it has been a rapid stretch here for Scott Frost and his staff. Four commits since Sunday, Nate, as we go through the list. It started with C.J. Smith, the four-star uh, defensive back out of Florida. Then they picked up the very talented Jerron Woodyard out of Arizona Western uh, Community College. He's a receiver that runs a legitimate 10-6 in the 100. Um, at first junior college recruit Nebraska has gotten a commit from since 2014 Uh, Then things moved in Um, following the weekend. Nebraska was able to flip uh, Justin McGriff, a former UCF commit. He took a visit in this weekend, and then it kind of hit the pinnacle, Nate, on Wednesday night. Four-star quarterback Adrian Martinez out of Fresno, California, an early enrollee. Nebraska closed the deal with him, and and really that probably has been the biggest stretch uh, for Nebraska getting and closing the deal on Martinez.
4: Yeah, that was absolutely paramount because he was priority number one for Scott Frost in this recruiting class. And I mean, listen, every time there's a coaching change and you're bringing in a new offense, you want to bring in a a quarterback that fits your system. Uh, regardless of what is already on the roster, you, you want to bring in a guy you feel comfortable with that, that is going to fit exactly what you want, and that was Martinez. They offered him just literally two hours after the announcement came out that Scott Frost had accepted the job to be the Nebraska's next head coach. Martinez had the offer, and in less than two weeks' time, a week and a half, they they closed the deal. They And, and he is... Uh, about as perfect of a fit for this offense as you could hope for, um, and he's and he's got all the intangibles too. I, I think. That's That might be the biggest part of it all is, is yeah, he's he's got the physical talent, but um, he's got the the mental makeup, the leadership skills, uh, the overall love for football that I think is that you need a guy to have to be successful at the next level.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting. And you look at these other guys, Nate, Nebraska has signed. What is the biggest or got to commit from what is the biggest trend – when you look at Woodyard, when you look at McGriff, when you look at Smith, I mean, obviously the Florida thing jumps out immediately with a lot of the trends we've seen out there. But what really has jumped out to you about kind of some of the trends you've recognized from this staff early on?
4: Well, yeah, the overall trends are are speed, um, you know, some some instant impact guys in the JUCO ranks, uh, you know, location as far as f- being from the southeast and kind of striking while the iron's hot in terms of. Uh, having a, a good reputation and and being familiar with a lot of those guys but as far as the commitments go I, I think what you're really seeing is that they they know exactly what they want and and how they want to utilize guys in certain ways in, in within their schemes you know Jerron Woodyard um, is, is they they want him to be the home run hitter the guy that could be the big play guy um, and create a mismatch with his speed and can you you can utilize him in a lot of different ways I think I think he's a guy that could carry the football out of the backfield he, he, he could be uh, um, you know split out wide he could be a slot receiver he could be a kick returner he could do so many different things for you uh, Justin McGriff creates mismatches he's six six, two 66 215 pound athlete that is uh, you know gonna start out as a wide receiver and going to transition into being uh, a tight end maybe uh, you know kind of a hybrid tight end that you could split out wide and uh, create mismatches with um, you know and CJ Smith gives you instant, uh, you know, uh, depth. I th- uh, one of the biggest positions of need in that secondary, and could even be a guy that that transitions into uh, an outside linebacker in that defense. So I think they know what they want within their schemes. They've targeted those players, and and they're starting to close the deal on a lot of them.
2: Nate, then you look at this weekend for Nebraska. They're going to bring in a lot of guys. Ten official visitors that we've been able to confirm already. They're going to have the great atmosphere of a basketball game with 15,000, 16,000 fans in Pinnacle Bank Arena to take them to 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 kind of just be around the whole thing. you got the uh, potential national championship volleyball game. There's so much going on around Lincoln. Um, They really couldn't have asked for a better weekend, in my opinion, in in December uh, to bring these guys in. Give me your early kind of outlook and take on some of these guys that are coming into Lincoln
4: well yeah i mean uh it's going to be a good weekend there's definitely a buzz around the program right now and and with the activity that's going to be going on um you know should be able to they should be able to capitalize on that you know some of the trends um, I, I think you have to start with probably the s- couple of the JUCO guys that are coming in. Will Honus, um, the the inside linebacker out of Butler Community College, uh, would no doubt be an instant impact guy. Uh, he was all first team All American in the junior college ranks. Uh, you know, and, and I think with him being so close, you know, with being a Wichita native, being at Butler Community College, um, and being very high on a you know a team like Iowa. I think I think that would be a huge steal. I'm told he
2: really likes Barrett Root. They've they've hit it off well and that's been kind of the biggest thing working for Nebraska.
4: Yeah, and that that would be that would be a great get there, uh, especially since uh, you could you could get a guy that impacts your team right away and potentially keep it, keep him from uh, you know going to Iowa. Uh, Jordan Allen then the, the kind of outside linebacker, defensive end, you know, pure pass rusher out of uh, City College of San Francisco. Six You know, six four, 235 pounds, six five, right around there. But he's a legitimate pass rusher, arguably one of the top Juco guys in the country. Um, if they were able to add him, uh, again, instant impact type of guy. Um, and then you get, you've you got some speed guys coming in. Javion Hawkins, uh, Marcus Riley, two Louisville commits out of the state of Florida that they've identified and that are bringing in. Uh, Marcus Riley is a four-star athlete. Um, Javion Hawkins is a two-star all-purpose back, really another kind of a, a gadget player or multiple multi-tool player that could be a running back could be a wide receiver could do a lot of different things within the offense um, you know Daniel Carson is a defensive end out of Independence Missouri that the the previous staff was on uh, very very hard. Um, and, and it looked like interest had kind of waned there. But uh, Scott Frost and his staff had been recruiting him for Central Florida as well. There was a relationship there. They had an in-home visit. And all of a sudden he's coming in up on an official visit. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of different playmakers on both sides of the football that are coming in. A handful of four-star type of athletes. Um, and then guys that they know fit exactly what they want to do. So um, it, it should be a a very fruitful weekend, and, and I think that uh, um, you know it, it lines up perfectly, especially with the early signing period just right around the door. You have a lot of momentum uh, coming in, and uh, if you can have a great weekend, you could lock up some guys uh, with verbal commitments, and maybe even uh, lead to some guys signing early, especially the mid-year enrollees, early enrollees uh, on the twentieth. Nate,
2: uh, we won't obviously talk again until after that early signing day on uh, third on Wednesday what are your thoughts on just how this is going to play out what i mean do you anticipate every guy right now there's 11 guys committed Give me your best guess on how many. Don't you know the name names? But do you think all eleven sign, or do you think it's going to be eight or nine? I mean, what is your take on this initial eleven? And we know that number is going to grow after this weekend.
4: Yeah, it's definitely going to grow after this weekend. I'm anticipating of the eleven at this point in time commits. I'm anticipating seven to eight at least being being uh, signees on the twentieth. Um, I think that's probably the best-case scenario, at least.
2: Like Cameron Brown's probably not signing, no, right? No,
4: I, and I don't anticipate Cameron Brown being a part of this class. He, he's been – um you know kind of kind of weird standoffish real standoffish very quiet uh has kind of gone gone radio silent as far as anything concerning nebraska um you know from what i've been hearing with cam or yeah, with cameron brown is that basically uh he wants to go to ohio state i'm not sure if ohio state is they just took cameron babb as teammate yeah they just took cameron babb as teammate I'm not sure that Ohio state is, is ready to accept that commitment. So I think that's part of the reason why he's gone completely quiet. He's just kind of waiting to hear what the status of Ohio state is right now. So, um, you know, Are they visited him in home. you know, well, I'm not certain if they've been in home. I know they've been at the school. I know they've been in communication with him, but, um, it's hard because he won't he won't return any text messages he won't uh, you know he won't pick up your phone calls so it's hard to know exactly what the level of communication is or or if they've been in his house.
2: I'm gonna uh, send you out there, Nate, and to say <laughs> if you don't answer, I'm sending Nate Klaus out to St. Louis, and he will get an answer from you.
4: Yeah, I, I don't know if that. that I know wouldn't, I that, that would be a waste of. Well. I think that might be a waste of money too. <laughs> we because, go eat some barbecue. or Yeah, because I, I just don't see him ending up in the class. I don't think he's gonna sign early. Um, And and I don't see him ending up at at Nebraska uh, unless something drastic here changes. But uh, yeah, I I think best case scenario is you're going to see probably seven to eight guys sign on the 20th out of the 11 current commitments. And then uh, out of this weekend, if they can add three or four more guys at least out of this weekend uh, to push that total right around double digits that would be ideal because then you'd have half the class in the bag heading into the the final home stretch of of January and and leading up to February's National Signing Day. Um, And I think that would really help the staff kind of focus in on the remaining needs and then start to work ahead on some 2019s.
2: All right, well, it's going to be a busy, busy week on Husker Online. Make sure you log on as we'll have full coverage of the recruiting weekend and then get you geared up for early signing day. Uh, Thanks again, though, for joining us here this week as uh, that wraps up this week's edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.